MSW Media. So to be clear, Mr. Trump has no financial relationships with any Russian oligarchs. That, that's what he said. I, I, that's what I said. That's obviously what the, the, our position is. I'm not aware of uh, any of those activities. I have been called a surrogate at a time or two in that campaign, and I didn't have not have communications with the Russians. What do I have to get involved with Putin for? I have nothing to do with Putin. I've never spoken to him. I don't know anything about him other than he will respect me. Russia, if you're listening, I hope you're able to find the 30,000 emails that are missing. So, it is political. You're a communist. No, Mr. Green. Communism is just a red herring. Like all members of the oldest profession, I'm a capitalist. Hello, and welcome to the MSW Book Club. I'm your host, A.G., Allison Gill, and this is the second to last, actually third to last episode of this series covering the book Here, Right Matters by Colonel Alexander Vindman. Uh, I've decided we are not taking January 2nd off for this show since I took the day off last week. So today we're going to cover chapters 9 and 10. Next week, we're going to finish up with chapters 11 and 12. And then January 2nd, we will be joined by the author, Alexander Vindman, to answer subscribers' questions. To subscribe and get ad-free episodes of this show and The Daily Beans and Muller She Wrote, you can head to patreon.com slash Muller She Wrote. And then January 9th, we're going to start a new series with a new book. The book is called Corruptible by Brian Kloss. I'm really looking forward to that. Muller She Wrote is also out today featuring an interview with Pete Strzok. So check that out. Now, today on this show, we're going to cover, like I said, chapters 9 and 10. Chapter 9 is called The Absence of Normal. And it opens like this. If what I just heard becomes public, I told Huge, the president will be impeached. It was July 25th, 2019. I'd just returned from the White House Situation Room to the third floor of the old executive office building where Huge and I had our offices at NSC. I'd come straight into Huge's office. Uh, Alex says he meant every word of that, but honestly didn't expect the president to be impeached. He also didn't think the call would ever become public. He just expected to report the truth, do his duty. And that's what he was doing in his brother's office. That's why he was there. Now, in the ensuing weeks and months, he would begin to fill in the gaps of everything that was going on, the shadow policy, Rudy, the Ukraine extortion plot, um, he, uh, Rudy's strange behavior, the Sundland quid pro quo, which was the White House meeting for the Biden investigation, Donald's crimes, all of it. He'd start filling in those gaps in the, in the ensuing months. But as he stood there that day in Yuja's office, Reporting the call, he couldn't have connected all those dots at the time. Huge sat behind his desk as Alex told him everything. He didn't ask any questions. They didn't discuss the risks of reporting what had happened. They both just knew they had to, and Eugene agreed with everything that he was saying. And and doing the right thing meant that they needed to report it to his brother's boss, Huge's boss. That's the NSC senior attorney, John Eisenberg, not Alex's boss, Tim Morrison, who was actually on that call and had blown Alex off when he suggested they have legal listen to the call. Alex says Tim seemed surprised at first at the call, but then just sort of brushed it off and resigned and moved on, not resigned his position, but like was resigned to what happened. And he says, quote, Tim is a purely political animal, transactional and defensive with little expertise in or concern for the region in our purview. 
Now, Alex trusted Tim would do what he could to get the Ukraine aid hold released, but he did not expect him to do anything about the call. So Huge and Alex went to see Eisenberg together, Huge's boss. And the meeting was brief. Eisenberg asked Vindman if he'd heard anything criminal. Uh, Alex said he couldn't make that kind of determination, but he knew that what he heard was improper. And then Eisenberg called his deputy, good old Michael Ellis, who Trump would eventually install as the NSA general counsel before the coup. Uh, And they were going to discuss how to handle the matter. And this is the part of the story where we learn about the code word classified server. Remember that? The NICE server, N-I-C-E. It's got limited eyes. Uh, It's where you put super secret conversations. That's where you protect those. But now Eisenberg and Ellis were actually discussing putting the Zelensky call on the server. It was supposed to be just a congratulatory call. It's of note, and Alex reminds us, the secret server is explicitly not to be used to conceal crimes, to conceal inefficiency, government inefficiency, or administrative errors, or politically embarrassing stuff. Now, a few days later, Alex would review that transcript for accuracy. It was good to put it on his desk, review it for accuracy. He was on the call. He noticed two glaring omissions. First thing that was missing was Trump saying that Biden had been recorded discussing Ukraine corruption. And the second thing was Zelensky mentioning Burisma by name. So Alex corrected the transcript. And although Tim Morrison agreed with the corrections, they never made it into the final draft. And Alex says, I can say now the version that was released was not fully accurate. The July 25th call would eventually turn out to be a watershed moment for both the country and for Alex and his life and his family. But that's not how he saw it at the time, right? He was just doing his job. So aside from crisis management of that call, Alex had a lot of other stuff going on, a lot of plates in the air. He had the upcoming Bolton trip to Ukraine, Belarus, and Moldova in late August. And August 12th, an unnamed CIA whistleblower filed a complaint against Trump. Oddly, Eisenberg, that's Eugene's boss, had earlier asked Alex if he leaked a call, leaked the call or the transcript to the CIA reporter. So he thought, he thought Alex was the source. To the, to, the, to the whistleblower, source to the whistleblower. The complaint was to be assessed by the ICIG, that's the Inspector General of the uh, Intelligence Community, Michael Atkinson, before being handed over to the House and Senate Intelligence Committees. But Alex would not be privy to the actual complaint until the rest of us were, September 13th. Alex truly did not know who the whistleblower was, and their identity still remains a matter of speculation to this day. Now, in the ensuing weeks after that, Alex would work closely with Tim Morrison because they had to prep for the Bolton trip. Meanwhile, Alex was putting together a presidential memo to lift the hold on the Ukraine aid, trying to do his job, put forth U.S. policy for Ukraine. And he was helping Trump prepare for his meeting with uh, Duda in Poland on the 80th anniversary of World War II. Zelensky would be there, too. And since Bolton and his trip would dovetail with the Poland event, Alex figured they could get some Ukraine work done. Um, at the Poland meeting when Zelensky was there. Quote, to prepare the president for his meeting with the president of Poland, Tim gave me a new task. Instead of the usual talking points, we, know, we now know the president could easily stray from such prep work and make statements contrary to policy. I had to write up highly simplified cards, each with a single point. This was basically a dumbed down cheat sheet. But, uh, but then Trump bailed on the Poland trip. He said he couldn't go because he needed to stay home and deal with Hurricane Dorian. But many suspected he just didn't want to see Zelensky. He was avoiding Zelensky. That makes sense now that he would take a Sharpie to a, to a hurricane map to make it look like it would do more damage 
to give him reason to stay home. Interesting. So Trump bailed on the trip. Pence was going to go instead. So the talking points task migrated from Alex to Jennifer Williams. And it made sense to involve her. Um, she's his, yeah, Pence's um, aide. But it didn't make any sense to leave Alex out, right? This is his purview of expertise. And he couldn't get anything specific from Tim about his role in the Bolton trip. And he thought to himself, this is the absence of normal. And let me read this from page 166. I never saw it coming. At the end of August, with the Bolton trip impending, Tim told me I wouldn't be going. Why? I said, shocked. The trip was in the region under my direct purview. It was the kind of trip on which I routinely would have been included, similar to the trip that Bolton uh, took to Geneva and Kiev the year before. This trip's success even depended to some degree on my presence. It makes no sense, I protested. Because I said so was more or less Tim's response. He was going without me, he said. But Tim had no knowledge of the area. No other director had been excluded like this. We began a tense email exchange. I told him that his answer wasn't good enough. I needed a reasonable explanation. He, come up with a, he came up with a fake one. Bolton's not traveling with directors anymore, he wrote. I didn't push it further, but I was deeply disappointed. Really, I was crushed for a, for a long moment. The presence of the abnormal, he says. So pretty soon after that, Alex would start to realize that, uh, that he was being shunned. His office mate, Joe Wang, was working to undermine him by the, launching a whisper campaign that Alex was a leaker with uh, poor judgment. Now, he could see he was being sidelined. Tim Morrison went on the Bolton trip in place of Alex. Pence and Bolton met with Zelensky in Poland, and Alex was hoping they'd lift the block on Ukraine aid during that meeting, but no. And meanwhile, Atkinson, who Trump would eventually fire, deemed the whistleblower credible and urgent and forwarded it to the DNI, Joseph McGuire, reminding him that by law, he had seven days to forward the complaint to the relevant committee chairs in Congress. And it was right then that the Ukraine aid hold was reported by the press. And when McGuire failed to follow the law, Atkinson reported the whistleblower to Congress himself. And that day, three committees launched investigations the Ukraine scandal was going public, and apparently so was Alexander Vindman. All right, we'll be right back with Chapter 10. It's called Bigger Than Life. It begins on page 171, and we'll pick up right there after this. Stay with us. Hey, everybody, it's AG, and today's show is brought to you by Quip. Good health starts with good habits, and Quip makes it easy by delivering all the essentials you need to care for your mouth. Quip has timed sonic vibrations, the toothbrush with 30-second pulses, to guide a dentist-recommended two-minute clean with 30 seconds in each quadrant. And I love it. It has a lightweight, sleek design. You know, I just remodeled my bathroom, and it's so good. looks so good in there. Um, they have adults and kids' versions. No wires or bulky chargers to weigh you down. It comes with a multi-use travel cover that doubles as a mirror mount for less clutter. And it has reusable handles in a range of sleek metal hues, including the best-selling all black and all pink, as well as bright plastic colors to make a pop in your bathroom. Uh, you can even upgrade your Quip with a new smart motor to track and improve your brushing with a free Quip app. Earn amazing rewards like free refills, products, Target gift cards, and more. Beyond the brush, Quip has everything you need to build a complete routine and delivers fresh floss, toothpaste, mouthwash, and gum refills every three months. Shipping is free, so you can save money and skip the hustle and bustle of in-store shopping. Stay home, stay safe. With stylish and affordable electric brushes starting at just $25, you won't be paying through the teeth for better oral health. If you go to getquip.com slash book club right now, you'll get your first refill free. That's your first free refill at getquip.com slash book club. That's G-E-T 
quip.com slash book club. Quip, the good habits company. Hey, everybody, welcome back. All right, we're on chapter 10. It opens with Alex telling us that on October 17th of that year, he experienced the high point of his career when Major General Bradley Garricky called him to tell him he'd been selected for senior service college, war college. Now, war college preps like the best of the best uh, active duty service members for service at the most strategic levels of the national security community. And you get promoted to full bird, full colonel. But uh, he now suspected, Alex now suspected he wouldn't be going to college. He wouldn't get his promotion. Uh, these things were crossing his mind. And that was the high point of his career. And the night before he'd gotten a formal request to testify in the, to the impeachment inquiry, um, the impeachment of Donald Trump. And in early September, Trump announced he was inviting the Taliban to Camp David right around 9-11. Bolton resigned September 10th. Then Trump tweeted that he fired him, but nonetheless, Bolton was gone, and things began moving at a breakneck pace at the NSC after Bolton's departure. First, on 9-11, the White House abruptly reversed the hold on the Ukraine aid. Then, Trump finally agreed to a bilateral meeting with Zelensky. Trump came up with a fake reason to hold the money, saying there was a policy review of Ukraine. It was, it was being audited, much like his taxes were being audited. Uh, and then, less than a week after the hold was reversed... The whistleblower complaint went public. And it was then that Alex fully understood why he had been sidelined. When he voiced his concerns about the call back in July, Eisenberg and Morrison already knew about it. That's why Eisenberg was like, was there anything criminal about it? Uh, you know, and they just sort of shrugged it off and then discussed putting it in the NICE system. After Alex tried to correct it, two, two omissions that never made it to the final copy. And then Alex uh, was booted from the Bolton trip, you know, of course, and then and then he began being left off of calls he would normally be on. He's being sidelined. So he took the week off. And while he was out on September 24th, Nancy Pelosi announced the House would begin impeachment. And uh, one Thursday night, Alex mentioned the whistleblower report to Rachel. They were talking in bed before they went to sleep. And he told her he had been on that call. And she responded, uh, maybe tomorrow we see about professional liability insurance. Rachel says she stayed awake that whole night. And Alex says, quote, she was already seeing where this was going. I didn't. Not yet. Alex then goes on to talk about his earliest teacher of the lessons he was about to employ, which is his father. At the end of September, he and, and Rachel, they were driving to Rhode Island with his dad when a conflict erupted between Alex and his dad. They were fighting. His dad didn't want Alex testifying against the president. And he would end up yelling at Alex, support the president, do whatever the president wants. Alex called it a tough car ride. And Alex's dad felt that Alex was naive of the inner workings of power and that he was making an impulsive decision, much like the Im impulsive decisions that he made when he was him, him and Eugene were kids. Now, Alex says, though, his dad was right to a degree. I mean, he was already experiencing a ton of backlash, but he was certain and remains certain that here, in the end, right matters. Alex says his dad had another reason to oppose his testimony to Congress. His dad actually believed Alex was wrong about what he heard on the phone call, that Trump couldn't have said that. His dad was a diehard Trump supporter. And the prospect of Alex helping the Democratic majority in the House put, him, put Alex on the wrong side of history in his father's eyes. Things also got strange at work. Quote, there was new and confused leadership at the NSC. <laughs> on September 18th, Robert C. O'Brien was appointed to replace Bolton. Low level, not smart. Uh, and the White House told O'Brien to gut the NSC, start whittling it down. It was during that time 
that Alex carved out a couple of weeks to prep for his testimony, October 29th. He and Rachel wrote the opening statement together. Uh, He gave the opening statement to his legal team for final approval. And those lawyers leaked it to the New York Times as part of a strategy to help Alex take control of the public narrative. Now, Alex had already sent it to Congress, and that gave him plausible deniability. And that morning, every cable news show picked it up. And Rachel drove Alex into D.C. as he read all of the hordes of texts and emails and social media messages he'd received. Amazing messages of support mixed with vitriol from the right. He talks about, you know, being reminded of things that military families take for granted. Like, the, you know, Alex had this this person that's going to testify has a purple heart. And there's a, like, a lot of people with a purple heart. Um, it, but, you know, that it, all those messages of support, like really, it really meant something to them. And eventually, Alex was seated at the massive witness table and began his closed-door testimony. Quote, I'd been transformed overnight into a larger-than-life character. American hero, American villain, in one of the most divisive political dramas in American history. And that is the end of Chapter 10. Next week, we will cover Chapters 11 and 12 in the epilogue. And then January 2nd, I will be talking to the author, Alex Vindman, answering subscriber questions. So I look forward to that. I'll see you all at the Daily Beans tomorrow. Until then, please take care of yourselves, take care of each other, take care of the planet, and take care of your mental health. I've been A.G., and this is the MSW Book Club. The MSW Book Club is executive produced by Allison Gill in partnership with MSW Media and written by Allison Gill and Dana Goldberg. Sound design and engineering by Molly Hockey. Jesse Egan is our copywriter, and our art and web designer by Joelle Reeder and Moxie Design Studios. The MSW Book Club is a proud member of MSW Media, a group of creator-owned podcasts focused on news, justice, and politics. For more information, visit mswmedia.com.